Hello, this is John Renaud, and you're listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival via the CEF.world. Check us out, Uncommon Genius for the Common Types. This is Kevin Williams on the Mobile Radio Carnival with your host, John Ronald. That was fantastic, brother. I thank you so much for introducing yourself and the show, and I thank you more importantly for being here with me to talk about what you do. I'm honored that you invited me to this. This is my second podcast ever on Earth. Fantastic, so man. Yeah, of course. Um, so let's just, you're a filmmaker. You're an actor slash filmmaker. Yes, Um Actor, writer, director, producer, now filmmaker. Yeah. yeah, it's a strange new world. I guess not so new world in Hollywood where you have to wear multiple hats or at least... Exactly, in, yeah. In, until you kind of find the magic place and then you still tend to wear your own hats. Yeah, I know we spoke about this many times in our, our years of friendship, but um, in New York, it was choose one and that's it. You focus on one, you get there, you're done. When right. I moved out to L.A., it was like the first question was, what else do you do? So I didn't know if that was taken as I didn't do the first one right. But I just learned that it is all basically what else you can do. Package yourself um, like you're your own ad a advertising agency. Right. And so I discovered the writing. I didn't look at myself as a writer. And my friends were like, Kevin, you're a writer. I'm like, my friends in New York, there was Sunflower Seeds, there was typewriters, Chinese food and the, the blind down and their wife beaters sitting there for hours writing. Yeah. I'm like, I am not a writer. <laughs> and and they're like, no, you're a visual writer. You just have this ability to just write. And I think my homework was being in the movie theater since I was like eight years old and being a fan of cinema and uh, recording everything kind of photographic and just being immense right. in that world. So when it came to writing, it became easy stand-up I was found out for. I didn't know I was funny outside of my friendships. And uh, <laughs> and then the directorial level, that just became um, not my choice, actually. I was asked to do something and in memory of somebody, and I decided, well, I could have somebody do it. I could say, hey, John, can you write this? Or you shoot, do you direct it? And, I, and then I was like, how am I going to tell this story 100% pure if it's not from my hand? Right. And then that's uh, that was your, I'm sure you're referring to your, your first short film. Yes. Which we'll get around to talking about that, um, which I was fortunate enough to be a part of as well. Uh, but the, so the progression, if I understand it, is so you're in, you're in New York and you start off as a young lad acting first or stand-up comedy. Yeah, um, acting was first. Um, when I convinced my mom, she was like, "Oh, you want to act?" And then she found something in the in, in the newspaper for Sesame Street. Oh, and nice. I was like a kid, and I was like, "What?" She's like, "We went for we went to the Manhattan because I was grew up in the Bronx." And uh, she's like, "Okay, let's go have lunch in the city." I was like, "All right, cool." And then she's like, "Took me to this building." I was like, well, "Where are we going?" <laughs> you know? She's like, "Oh, well, here's Sesame Street. Uh, you're gonna be on it." And you want to do this acting thing, so that's really cool. So she just she just took you by the hand, walked you in, and yeah. surprised you with your own wish in a way. Yeah, that's so really. Cool. It was my best and worst day because I realized that they were not real, and I had to sit there on the wall of Cookie Monster with a plate of cookies and try not to cry. Oh, that's <laughs> it's funny, like this is man. Steve. He runs Cookie Monster. I was like, what? <laughs> the illusion was broken. 
It's yeah. hysterical. That definitely became, that's how I became a man where most people's like, I took my kid out hunting. He got his first rabbit and he became a man. Your Me mom. was just like, cookie monster, yeah, your not mom real. Took you out Sesame Streeting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a hunter, I'm a Sesame Streeter. That's hysterical. And you got the gig? Uh, yeah, I got it. I got to sit on the wall with Cookie Monster. We're supposed to count down from a number, and then he just ate my cookies, and then that was it. What a fun story! And how old were you at that point? Who I was around. Um, I was around seven, eight years old. That is a fantastic tale of yeah. whoa that turned out pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, huh? before the media finds out, I make a name for myself. It's like we have a video of you. Yeah. I was like, I know what this is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were a kid. It's got to look great. Well, I never really saw it until many years later when I was an adult, and um, some girl came across the street. Was like, "I know you," and oh I was like, God. "No, you don't." I was like, "I never seen this girl," but and she's like, "You were on Sesame Street." I was like, "But I didn't think about they repeat things." That's a little freaky on PBS. Though. I'm like, my friends are like, "You were on Sesame Street? What? At what? Seventeen? Yeah. No." So I just realized that they do syndication and they. But I guess I looked like I was when I was a kid. I don't know. That's kind of odd because, you know what I mean? I mean, that phenomenon is kind of odd because we do change so much. But I guess it's the eyes stay the same or something. Yeah. Because it's a common thing. Like, you you bump into people and say, oh, my God, I remember you, you know, from when you were a kid. And you're like, how is that possible? Yeah. So, I guess the mannerisms, yeah. the, the likenesses, like when we see early tapes of Scorsese or De Niro, yeah. when we see them when they're young caps, we're like, oh, yeah, that's him. Yeah. And you look at them now, it's like. That, that could be his father yeah <laughs> you know yeah so there is a difference though yeah. but you're right there's the similarity that stays there so you did sesame street and then i assume you went through school in high school you pursued acting as well yeah i moved to florida um i had to go to florida to stay with my dad for a few years till i graduated um and come back to new york right and it was not a pleasant household living situation but school was my savior there and every day i went to school and I discovered the drama program, the drama courses, right. and I was like, what's that, whatever, and I just took it, and that was just like a family that just took me in. I was a pantomimist, actually. Oh, wow. um, I just did this thing called Pregnant Lady, Pregnant Woman, actually, uh -huh. and I did this mime, and I did it towards um, the Long Ranger, Right. and well, I was about to have a baby, and I go in, and everybody loved it, and then I ended up going to state competitions with that mime. That's hysterical. And then we did a play... Tom Jones, yeah, and I was a part of that play, and uh, I did another mime called I did Ghost yeah. with my, with my friend Sergio. So it was a guy, two guys doing the pottery scene, and then right before we were supposed to kiss, whatever it blacks out, and we were supposed to do that for like first and second and third period only, yeah, for the school. And my dean was like, "Live it." He was like, "You can't do this here," and <laughs> and we were just supposed to do it for three periods and go back to. school go back to our classes and for right. some reason my drama teacher's like uh you're not going to classes today everyone keeps asking for it every period they're like ghost 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 that's really cool so we got to do that the whole day we didn't get beat up for it thank god uh i think we progressed <laughs> at that time in florida and it was and then we went to competitions we didn't make it to state but it was just one of those things where we just broke the barrier we broke the glass ceiling you know it's interesting i think you know i think in terms of i was listening to what you were saying i was thinking of like my high school adventure into drama and you know if you're given a really good success with it i think when you're younger it kind of bides you through all the years of what they call the rejection and all of that yeah 
despair of not getting work and all of that. Did you feel that? Uh, do you feel that way, or have you I didn't just even felt think like about the, the whole t- yeah. prog- uh, progression for you has just been you wonderful? Know, John, or? I didn't think about the rejection part too much. I guess it's kind of a bridge between child actors. Mm-hmm. Now I think about it when you said right, like people born into it because their dad or their mom and it's like you have to do this and then they're going from fantasy land all the way up to adulthood in the fantasy right. land drama did have that we're going to step out of the world for a second for a day or two or sometimes the weekend or for a week we're going to tampa so i kind of had that leverage to leave my le- my living situation and become something more right and the, the rejection part not so much because they were very encouraging and these are not all um, destined to be actors in yeah. that class. A lot of them were just like, this is an easy credit, yeah. whatever. And then you had some that you look like they were part of gangs or maybe like they were like the bullies or whatever. And they just ended up yeah. liking it. It's like, yeah, I can play this role. And yeah. it's like, wow. And I'm seeing all these got these tough machismo guys or all the stereotypes of high school. Yeah. End up just putting off, taking off their cloak and their uniform and in that class was just like normal people. Yeah. And it's just like we all just supported each other. We all disengaged. And it was just like, we like this. We love this. And with social media nowadays, it's like seeing a lot of those classmates see that I'm still in it. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're still in it? That's great. You are a natural. And it's like, I'm thinking everybody else is in it. That's just my Hollywood ending for them. Yeah. You know? And they're like, no, I do this. I take a business or I'm a stay-at-home you know, mother and it's not. And it's like, wow. And... Yeah, because the world, I mean, the, when you're a kid, right? I mean, at Free 17, rent. you don't think you're a kid, yeah. but, you know, life life is this whole mass of people, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, 20 years pass without you knowing it, and you're, like, so detached from that world, <laughs> and it's all this yeah. fond memory or this angst-ridden memory. Um, it's like it's your Goonies moment. You had your Goonies adventure, much. and it's like, okay, now to reality. Yeah. So I can understand now where people find themselves in high school. Right. It's that I knew who I was then. It's like... But you didn't because you were just um, putting on all these masks yeah. to figure out who you're destined to be. College is where you find out you yeah. really are because you're not thinking about rent in school. You're not thinking about work in high school. In college, it's like, I need to get a job. Yeah, I need to work and study. I got to get this done. When? And it's like, all of a sudden, I'm an adult. We got to clean up this apartment. I got my girlfriend coming over and I have to study. And it's like, you realize more and more what reality really is and yeah. high school was kind of like to me was like a movie set you know yeah it's i mean it's it's regardless of what you think you know it's it's light at least as far as you, most people don't have all these big heavy responsibilities and you get to kind of float and, and try things and so i i totally hear what you're saying about that and so moving from the high school world into reality as an actor mm-hmm. as you've described is is kind of weird because you, you end up in a high school, at least my experience, most of the people that were around me, you end up in this place because it's this creative uh, expression yeah. that everyone kind of in, entices you to try or you naturally go, hey, I want to just try this. Yeah. It's like that college orientation where it's like, you need to yeah. do all these things. It's like, oh, it's so boring. But when you're in high school, yeah. you're thinking, should I go to sports? Should I go to the chess club? Should I be outside the school with the alternatives? Should I become a punk rocker? Should I be the, the lit people in the library? You know, I was like, and then it's like drama. What's that? Yeah. And it's like, oh, I like movies. I watch TV when I get home. What's this about? And you're thinking, 
which one is the less book reports I have to do, the less writing as <laughs> that possible. That can be part of it. <laughs> you know, do I have to sing in this class? You know, whatever. And when you sit there, it's I kind of feel like it's that standard to deliver that Breakfast Club. Like after school, it's like you're stuck here. Yeah. For the next three weeks, and you have to show up, and you gotta you know put your two cents in, and you're just sitting there in a circle. But my bored, job, bored beyond yeah, belief, just like, waiting for Mr. Vernon to, to, to leave. And, you, you know, okay, dude, thanks for that speech. <laughs> I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. <laughs> and my drama teacher, she was just like that wholesome mom. Like, so yeah. her son was actually in the school too. So, which is funny, like Jay. Um, so he was in the class. And so she was just like, okay, we're going to try this. We're going to try that. And, da, da, da. and it was like, okay, I'll try that. Yeah. And then eventually it just became like a suit of armor it's like we couldn't wait to memorize monologues or scenes with our now best friends are now whoever we started dating or whatever it's like we all become like this little family and then we leave there and we're all in conversation so we became like our own little group our own little clique in in a sense like we were sitting there talking about movies talking about class talking about competitions like oh i'm gonna work on this i'm gonna work on that i gotta get music for this and i and it's like it was very like time stopped. I right. always, you always have those moments when time stops, just like sports when you're playing. I play baseball. Oh, that's right. You're a baseball player. Yeah. So it's like when you're with your with your uh, teammates and everything for that game or practice, it's like time stops because you're just learning about each other. You're having fun. You're taking in all the weather and 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 seeing how you are um, athletically and all this stuff and and thinking about uniforms over the weekend and you know, parents are coming in. So it's like all the stuff. It's like life is kind of giving you a break for a day yeah it's like okay have your fun i'll be right over there <laughs> i think you're right I, I think for me it was i played baseball as well i played baseball and football but baseball um we had in common we've discussed that before and i i always thought that sport as i got older sports and acting are very similar in a way because you do the same you know you prep and then comes the game time mm-hmm and that's that might seem odd to someone who's not an actor because you're like I don't understand that but it's it's like you do the same thing you practice the stuff and then when it comes game time it kind of works out the way you practice it right yes it's like a dance right it's like you know once you start getting to the groove of things it's like this is why I keep hitting you grounders it's like whoa I got it I right. got the one so can we move on I'm going to keep doing this to you before, so it becomes second nature. So yeah. when the ball's hitting to you, you're not even looking where the ball is. You're looking where you're going to throw it. Yeah. You know, okay, I got to get the guy out second. And da, da, da. It's like that kind of chess feeling. So all those pop-ups, all those grounders, all those side pitches, all that stuff you start learning. Then when it comes game time, yep. it's like your superpowers get enhanced. And it's like grounder, oh, boom, back, boom, out. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like one out, guys. Like, and yeah. then two outs again. Like, yeah. And then it's like hitting, timing. Swing, cut. And you need to bunt. Oh, okay. It, then when you watch the pros play it at home, you're going, oh, I know where their mindset is now. Yes. It's They're so... not too far off from you. Like when you're a kid watching, like, I wonder what they're thinking about. Like, they must be like gods, but they're just like you. You know, you just want to get out. Yeah. Get out. And play the game. Play the, the game. game. It's yeah. when you're, when, I, more with plays for me, a lot of times it feels more like sports because you know it is an event that you can't stop once you start it oh yeah that's what i love about theater yeah. theater is amazing the most amazing roller coaster feeling of all of all things just maybe like compared to the military because once you fly out it's game time you can't just be like all right i won't do this anymore <laughs> no uh, hang on a second i, th- I think i got this <laughs> 
can you just uh, t- turn this bus around and just go back home and chill? Like, no, son. <laughs> like, you signed your life off to us for four years. Like, Ooh. but uh, that's what a bad play feels like <laughs> too. Four years. <laughs> but yeah, that's the uh, that's the other thing. I know we spoke about the the worlds between theater and then TV and film, and it used to be a rivalry for so long. It used to be like, oh, if you're a theater person, you're a true actor, and then TV and film, like, oh, you're just it's just the editing. It's just the lighting. You're not really doing anything. It's like, wait a minute. It's like, we have to do takes. You know, that takes a lot of shots. And you have to remember where you're walking, where you're positioning, where you're doing this. And then the acting part comes in. But theater is just like, okay, once these curtains open. You're on. Game you're on, on baby. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I mean, I think it's very, I think your point's well made. It's, it is the same discipline, only it's different approaches to the same discipline. And mm-hmm. it, it, it that could apply to someone who is a complete, like, Brando-esque. I don't even work that hard at it. I try to be so on natural yeah. that that's how he plays his game, whether he's doing a theater thing or if he's doing film work. Because the production will obviously move to whatever that need is to capture the moment. Mm-hmm. And on stage, obviously, they're getting the gigs continuously because they figured out how to present it uh, in, a, yeah. in a way that works within the play structure. So it's really an interesting thing. And it, again, it's it's fun to talk to an athlete slash actor because some of the actors I know won't make the... They'll they be like, it's not like sports. What are you talking they about? They can't bridge it together. Oh, just like when I did Celebrity. I was uh, originally supposed to be an extra on there. I mean, the funny story with Celebrity was my... My dearest best friend, he was friends with the casting director, Kim Davis. And uh, we uh, he got us, all three of us, auditions. We were all comics then, too, in New York. And um, Well, we're going to get to how that happened, too, yeah. how you became a comic. But, uh, okay. Yeah, please continue. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So, um, real quick, it was just more like, oh, she got us auditions for uh, Celebrity Woody Allen. So, we had to be there in the morning. Like, okay, cool. So, we all got there. And we uh, we didn't. There was no audition. We just stood there, and Woody looked at us and looked at headshot. Just wrote something down, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, it was five minutes later, and then we're done." And then she came outside, going, "Where are you guys going?" It's like, "Oh, we're done." Well, thanks for the opportunity, and we're gonna go find a bar, do something. It's like during the day. It's like noon or something. And she's like, "You guys want to work?" It's like work, <laughs> and we're like, "Yeah, sure." So one of my friend uh, Eric was like literally directing traffic of thousands of people on the upper west, upper east side from across the street to the other side of the street make sure they were straight lines and make sure they're signing this off um sean was like yelling at people on what you have to be wearing and where's this and where's that and then i was like going into the back to get polaroids right next to mr allen huh, he's like didn't good. you audition for me i'm like Yes, sir. I just need Polaroids for the camera. <laughs> she's like, uh, okay. And then went out. And then she's like, you guys got roles. It's like, great. And I went from an extra part because it was a baseball scene. And we were supposed to be playing baseball. And then we look up at something that's going on in the sky. Uh-huh. That's supposed to be like a celebrity in a sense. And um, what ended up happening was the actors did not know how to play baseball. Oh, there you go. You did. Yeah. I was sitting there in the outfield. I'm like. All right, so he came out. He's like, okay, guys, it's going to be a base hit to second. You throw him out at first, and then, you know, that's it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So the guy's at the bat, he's like, didn't know what it's on. I'm sitting in, I was in center field going, what are y'all doing? <laughs> this is the easiest thing. It's like, hit the ball towards second, and then he throws him out, and then we're done here. 
And, he, and the guy was so frustrated because Woody was shooting it from a helicopter. He's supposed to oh come in God. by helicopter. We're supposed to be timed. And the guy, you just see him rubbing his head, scratching his head. He's like, uh, guys, I don't understand what's going on here. And I was like, he's like, who here knows how to play baseball? I'm in the outfield like, come on in here. <laughs> and so I told him what to do. And then he's like, oh, we're going to move you over here. So you're looking at it. You're looking at the game. You just wanted to play. You're sitting up. You're standing up against the fence, like you're about to bat. So I'm gonna have the camera on you and everything. I was like, "What?" He's like, "I want to bump you up." Thank nice, you for that. I was man. like, "Nice." It didn't get into the movie, but uh, it was still like that moment of, "Look at this extra thing on my uh, resume to add." Like I play baseball. I play sports. So I'd be, I'm headstrong on knowing what to do. I think it is an interesting the part of the attraction to doing it, especially when you start getting on sets. I mean. I do really enjoy doing plays, but when you're on sets, it becomes it becomes like a surreal experience. There's a lot of heightened focus on things, and it you start to see how it's magic opposed to reality, mm-hmm. and and a lot of that's what attracts me. And and on production that large, you know, it even gets more grandiose. Like you're, oh my god, they're flying in a helicopter, and the guy's got to time it to this, and and you start to realize like how it is an art form to itself. Maybe maybe the acting is secondary at some point too mm-hmm. because you just do the action right you're not really the character it's like mini plays i look at it. like every yeah, scene is like a mini way. play yeah. like okay guys here for the next hopefully couple of hours is going to be only us we have to do a b c d and 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 e right that's it so you know your lines okay good we got then we have to work on the blocking okay then we have to work on the lighting okay and then we're gonna have you come in we do rehearsals and then we shoot yeah and then, and then you bring in that helicopter and then the helicopter's <laughs> coming in and it's like make sure you guys are on point and we're like oh okay and then you just see like we're gonna do it again I'm like oh that's so funny it's so true i i remember i auditioned for Cobb. they were shooting it in detroit they were shooting some scenes in detroit and they had a bunch of guys in it. They were going to audition outside, but it was raining. So they move into a gymnasium that had this bleached peach <laughs> or pine flooring, right? So it was very, very whitish. And mm. then all the walls were white and they needed to see catchers and pitchers. Now, mm. of course, I'm like, yeah, I was a catcher. I had done it in 15 years, right? <laughs> and they had all these dudes in there that were, you know, pick real pitchers. Right. And I got paired up with this guy, and we're talking. I go, hey, do me a favor. Realize that you don't have to throw, like, real pitches. <laughs> like 90 miles per hour. I have done this in 16 like, years. Yeah. You know. And the very first pitch the dude threw, man, was this uh, uh, curving drop ball. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, oh. and the very first one, I'm like, shit, I don't even know if I know how to do this anymore. <laughs> no pads, no nothing, because no, there was no batter. Yeah. And I'm watching it come in, and I'm following it, and I'm thinking in my head in this long, elongated moment. I'm thinking, hey, this isn't so bad. I think I got this. I got this. I got this. And my glove didn't catch the ball, and the ball drove right into my big toe's toenail. Mm. Like it drove it back into the. Yeah, I mean, it, it hurt oh. like, like no. And I thought, oh wow, this is no. this is what I'm doing to try. To, and I'm like, thanks, dude. <laughs> not only did I not get the, I mean, I did. I was okay as far. No one know knew yeah. that I was in pain or anything because I was acting. That you're method wasn't acting pain. like exactly. But I thought, thanks, dude. Thanks. I can't see the ball. It's a white ball in a completely white room, and you're throwing it at 95 miles an hour with a curvy drop. I much appreciate it oh, there. I thought you were going to say that like, your knees, like, get to scratch down for so long for those no. shots where you're like, okay, this is I 15 still years later. That. Like, no, uh, I, that I could have still done, but I, it was just, a, it's just, I, I, that's a complete sidebar. No, I, no. I'm sorry, but that was a, so, like, off the mark, other than the fact that you were talking about baseball and movie. I didn't get the role. I didn't. 
you know, there's no grandiose story out of that one. But so you move along from acting. How do you how do you become a? Is it seems like? Yes. I'm sorry. Be, before you answer that, yeah. it seems like you've already told me you you move to the next thing often because someone suggests an opportunity exists for you. Yeah, um, I was I was sought out for stand up because um, interesting. I was working at a summer camp in um, White Plains, New York. And it was just for a summer. We saw the article out in the newspaper. We were supposed to get this much money. It's only going to be a couple of months. So my mom was like, you get a job or, you know, I don't want to see you in the house all the time. So and I respected my mom. She was a single mother raising us and my brother and sister were away for school. So I was like, yeah, you know, I need to do some stuff, you know. Um, so my friends, uh, Sean and Eric, were all comedians, uh, soon to be. But uh, Sean, I met at this summer camp. So me... I went and I interviewed with uh, with the family there and um, they were like, okay, we're going to hire you. You know, you like kids? I was like, yeah, sure. I'm a big kid myself, you know, whatever. And um, so they walked me along the whole area. It's like, it's all one done there. It's a day camp and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is big. I could tell it's expensive and all this stuff. So I started working there and I was in charge. I was one of the head, one of the counselors of like, 32 kids and I had my own set of kids and there was uh, three other counselors and a head counselor Artie um, and he was all in New York he's like hey Kevin and stuff like that and then Sean was one of the counselors um, at the time there too so Sean and I just spent a lot of time together and when we had lunch breaks whatever my sarcasm just comes out like nothing and then he was just like laughing like he was like Irish and he just turned red he was like oh my god you're hysterical and uh, he was That's just like, funny. you need to do stand-up. I was like, dude, we're in White Plains in the middle of nowhere in charge of these kids. And you're talking to me about stand-up. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure my kids stay together and do their stuff. Because these are like rich kids. Yeah. So I didn't have to do anything I said. But I turned a scenario to which I didn't care about being there anymore after a while. I was like, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. This is racist. This is ridiculous. I don't see no black kids here. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't know that the audience would know that you're a black gentleman. I am. I am well articulate and I have a high voice. So a lot of times I get things done by phone because everybody thinks I'm a, an, a, a white woman. <laughs> and they're always like, yes, no well, problem, man. We'll get it done for you. I'm like, well, no, I'm not. And that's a true testament to people's <laughs> ability to understand what's going on around them because you sound like a, a black chick to me. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so, I mean, with that, um, he just kept on me every day. Like, you need to do stand-up. You're so funny. Because I, I played a game that was off-color with the kids, but right. for some reason the kids loved it. You know, putting the, blame on the, putting the blame on the donkey, I came up with another term. That's hysterical. And man. they were just like, I love that game. Can we play that game tomorrow? And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, because I wanted to get fired. There was one day I was like, I want to get fired, get home and watch Montel, and call this a day. And I just didn't care. And for some reason, uh, by then, Sean was just like, all right, listen, either you do this, you're, 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 you and I are the same in many ways than one. So he's like, listen, next Sunday is a Sunday in New York, New York Comedy Club, 7 o'clock. There's not going to be nobody really there. Just go up, do a set, five minutes, you're done. That's all. Are you, are you a weakling? He did that whole you know, back to the future, like, what are you, chicken and type of stuff? And I was like, oh. I never turn things down. So I'm always like, fine, I'll do it. And he's like, yeah. So he's like, you have a week to come up with material. 
And then a week went by. I told some of my friends in my, in my building, my closest friends, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll go. So we got there. It was Sunday night. It was a packed house. And I was like, son of a... That's funny. <laughs> and he's like, you wouldn't have came if I told you. Your knees you. are wobbling. Your, <laughs> there's sweat on your brow. I was just thinking, what would my grandfather do at this point? So I did like a double Jameson's. I looked at my material. and <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> and my friends were sitting there with job applications in the bag. Like, just in case you fail. You got Rite Aid. You got uh, CVS. <laughs> and I was like, ugh. But it was all a college crowd. Because Sean was like connected to NYU. Um, he went there for a number of years. So I was like, great. All right, fine. I'm going to let my whole gender and my race down. But I was like, fine, I'll do it. So I went up, supposed to do a five-minute set, and it turned out it turned into a 20-minute set because for some reason I couldn't see anybody. So you and just started it, riffing? Yeah, I did my material, and I started, and, and I looked at the light. I saw the light go on in five minutes. I was like, well, and then he just went like this, and then he turned it off, and I was just like, oh, and I just kept going, and then by the end of it, I was like, ladies and gentlemen, this was my first set. I don't know if you liked it or not. I can't see anybody, yeah. <laughs> and then just like, and I got a standing ovation. I was like, what just happened here? And I got off stage. I walked towards the bar area up front, and then he's like, now you're a comedian. I was like, oh, my god i never thought in the light of a day my friends were like yeah you were so hysterical they loved you and all the kids from nyu was like dude oh my god man you're so funny like let's go out for drinks let's do all stuff so sean and i became best friends at that point and then it just went from there i whatever he produced a spot or uh i want to go and do people knew of me because of him and then i got that opportunity because i was that guy i never had a bad set i was a guarantee and it was like literally 10 years of stand-up in New York. It sounds like, too, that, that when you uh, got coaxed into blundering into these things, it, it worked out for you, so you, why wouldn't you pursue it, right? I, does that make sense, what I'm asking? That is yeah, a question. Yeah, I mean, but... I guess uh, I, look at the un- I look at things as the universe gives me a challenge. Like, you want to stay where you are. Or you could progress to something else. It might be good. It might be bad. So just let us know what you want to do. And I just get, I was looked at like this elevator just plops down and goes, do you want to go in or do you want to stay? take the ride? Yeah. Push and the button. A lot of people go, no, I got everything under control in this environment. I got my house, got my kids, I got my job, da, da, da. I'll stay here. I like the small town bubble, like the Midwest type of stuff, which I understand now why people don't want to leave that. They could pretty much anticipate the rest of their life you understand that because you've been in hollywood for some years <laughs> no, I'm teasing. uh so uh so yeah stand-up was like is this in me from actor to this and it was just like it was and i was like okay great and then he came up with the idea of getting a sketch comedy group together called the famous corporation he's like let's see let's just write some sketches and i wrote some sketches called i wrote one sketch called mr whitey it was like a 50s dad right and He's like oblivious that he's racist. Did you play him? No, actually, I played his daughter's boyfriend Tyrone oh, okay. that comes to the house. I gotcha. So we had like this '50s melody type of uh, intro to him. It was like Mr. Whitey, hey, Mr. Whitey, oh, Mr. Whitey, get off my lawn. <laughs> it's like he's, and he's like he's not full. He's not. He he is really oblivious, but he is a racist, a pig, right. and all this stuff. So. She comes home like, Daddy's like, hi, Pumpkin, how are you? Sit there on Daddy's lap and tell him how the day's going. Well, Daddy, I fell in love, and I have a boyfriend, and he's on his way there. I'd love to meet the nice chap. And I come in, and the wife beat him a hat backwards. I'm like, hey, what up, man? He's like, 
he just starts laughing like, oh, honey, who let the gardener in here? And all this stuff. I was like, hey, man, what the hell are you doing? Whatever. He's like, honey, give me a wet nap. Let me take that off. Who are you supposed to really be? And then, but for some reason, the oh my God. audience loved that. We had Nuremberg Squares as a game show. We had all this stuff. And we just did it for us. What year was this? This was back in 97. Um, wow. 96. And we just so that's did kind of like a, a living color vibe at the time, right? Yeah, we had a multi-talented uh, group of people nice. and writers and and actors, and it was just like our own little world that we were doing on stage. And we invite our friends and family, and we had to go around. Yeah, that's real deal up. stuff, man. Who? Hey, man, it's easy to fail in front of people you don't know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I think, exactly. I think that takes a little more set of sack than. Uh, <laughs> They're just like, hey, I'm going to go. Like you said, you can't see the people usually if it's a well-lit stage. Yeah. And you have a buffer, and it's like, okay, they're not digging it, but my feelings aren't hurt. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's my mom sitting in the front. <laughs> yeah, like when my mother came to see my stand-up with, uh, my, with my aunt, I didn't know how that was going to go. She right. was just like, and they were just like hysterical laughs. She's like, honey, I didn't know you're so funny. I'm Plus, like, it's more important, too, and you're yeah. probably trying at the right level and not trying too hard, but you're like, man, this is big. My mom's here. I want to impress the <laughs> hell out of her. Yeah. Which, so, yeah, with sketch comedy, it became something and then the people um from toyota saw one of our uh shows right and they're like we like to put this in one of our slots for the comedy festival Man, we're like stumbling this stuff the right i never stumbled into good <laughs> stuff like that like a hollywood movie right like what's this you're it's like charmed life brother Man, I, I love part of that <laughs> so yeah we got to see that and we we're in front of nbc and all these networks and a big a big platform and we did our our top stuff we did a don Lapree thing like an infomercial like out of one my one bedroom apartment you two could be a millionaire and i was playing todd bridges about smuggling heroin up your baby's ass to get across oh customers <laughs> so i was like oh my god it's hysterical um but it was just that that cove and it was fun and I, with that i still progressed to do stand-up all over and then up then i magical opportunity came where i ended up on all my children a soap opera that i did for uh, three years i was a bat i was um, extra first and then three months later i got bumped Catch up into bump rome up, yeah. because i was there on set every every time they needed me right. you know, the people bailed out couldn't make it i was the i was the bat phone yeah i get a call from casting like kevin can you be here in an hour so you, sure. So you help create your own success, basically, by by the attitude, by by your tenacity, by practicing and learning how to do it. Obviously, that's the first step. Yeah, I just learned like, okay, for acting, I have to do background, the rules of the games. Like, you can't just jump in there. By the way, bro. you can't go into Shakespeare real quick. You gotta do like extra work. Voice. You gotta Who's do that guy? stuff. You, you can't just <laughs> these were the extras i had to sit around oh and yeah all my oh, children it's the, it can i mean i hate to bag on extras but it's the worst yeah they're like i use colored envelopes with glitter yeah. and i do my mailings and that's yeah. how i get called in i'm like yeah and, and get, don't misunderstand i'm not i was yeah. an extra when i learned i didn't like extras so i was probably equal in annoyance i mean it's such a strange because I never thing. said anything. I was a guy that observed. Yeah, so I, I was just like, I just want to be well. focused at yeah. work, even though I'm doing yeah. background. I just but then sit you have there. someone who wants to talk to you, like, "Hey, I'm yeah. reading this book. It's a great book." Yeah, I see you're reading a book. I'm trying to just freaking think about my life. <laughs> Sorry, I, I totally, I totally, I've been there. Yeah, and, you try to be modest. You try to be professional. You try to be cool, and you don't want to lose focus. And then yeah. these people come on like they've been doing it for a while, and it, and it's great. I. I I will never knock an extra well, or, I or stand-ins or whatever. I'm yeah. like, there's people that do it for a living and they do very you know, well. And I'm I, like, wow. I have knocked them, but I will say that, that, that if there's a 
a set of characters that do extra work that I find the most endearing and the most likable are the older couples mm. that they're so ha- they're retired and they're you know what I'm talking oh, about oh yeah right? they, and they're they, so cool and they have the best stories you know why they they I realize they're 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 better on set because they don't care if they get a leading role like I do. Yeah, they, like they, they live head. their life yeah. already. Yeah. They're done. They're and so fine. they're joyous to be around. And me, I'm like, you know, fuck, how am I going to get, how am I going to get, that guy's not so good. I could be, you know, you know well, I don't tend to do that, but some yeah, yeah, days yeah, yeah, I catch yeah. myself doing that. Because no, just like we were talking about sports, the acting world is competitive. So even Very if you got much. the role, you're sitting there going, how do I get through this without being called off to the side and be like, hey, you need to work on this, work on yeah. that. So you try to be that actor. You see people messing up going, oh, good. I'm in good graces with him or her because yeah. I did what I was supposed to do. And You're it's always like drunk shit. Yeah, it's always a competition. Yeah. And with all my children, it was great because I just I was always there. If they needed me, I was there. You know, And it's like, Kevin, we need you. I'm, like, I'm there. And then the whole production crew knew me. And I was like, hey, Penny, hey, this and that. And they're like, hi, Kev. Welcome back. Yeah. And there had been some... At one particular time, there was, I guess, there was some issues directing a scene, and um, the the producer, the stage manager, came down. And was like, uh, "Kev, we're gonna be off for a little bit. Okay, I'll just we'll go back in the waiting area." And he's like, "No, no, no. Can you just let the extras know what we need to do? Because we'll be right back in like five minutes. Can you tell them what I need?" Oh, and fun. Don, I was like, "Me?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. You know what we do here. Yeah. So just let them know what we do here. So when we get back, we just get right into You're it. You're doing AD work yeah, by I'm proxy like, or something. There. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just became that. Oh, all right. I was like, "Hey guys." Don't walk, don't walk like that. Just pace yourself. Count to forty, then you walk back. Oh don't God, keep doing yeah, this. Do, don't do that. You're doing AD work. That's very look busy. Interesting. Don't mount out the words because the audience was going to know that, and you're not going to be a star today. I just kept saying, "Yeah, you're not going to get." I think it. that's a good thing to let people know. You're not going to be discovered today. Because I think it's Stop. what I was talking about earlier, and and you you uh, you know I actually don't tend to do that. I I was being a little facetious. Yeah. Because it's unhealthy. To sit there, it, you're supposed to be present as whatever you're supposed to be there for, mm-hmm. and your all of your energy is like, oh my god, I how can I get to this and how can I get to that and how can I claw this out of someone else? And it's like all you're doing is wasting your life at that point. You being waste an energy, you're a need. climber, right? So it's just it can be really weird, but your attitude is the attitude that that. I think is a healthier place to be around. I mean, I got to stand as challenging enough. If you're still in the grind and you're seeing people just skate through it and you're just like, it's just like life. If you see people doing the wrong thing and they skate and they're, and they're prosperous and you're still doing the narrow road (laughs) and you're like trying to do the right things and life is kicking you at the bottom of your legs. Like, what am I doing wrong here? But everybody else like, oh, oh, look, I found hundred bucks. Oh, look, I just got a nice job. Oh, look, I just got this house for cheaper. You know? So, when you see that in the acting world, it's like all the guys are talking to the girls and the girls like liking them. It's like, wow, I wish I could do that. And da, da, da. But those guys end up not getting to A-list level because yeah, it, it, a lot yeah, of them can, don't get taken to Yeah, you're right. There's, yeah. You know, there's a small percentage that quote unquote make it, right? Yeah. I mean, I always look at it like uh, I, I panning for gold is is an analogy that I, there's a, there's some frustrated actor friends that I have that always talk about how it sucks and that guy doesn't deserve it and it's like hey dude it's like panning for gold man here I am I came out to the river a long time ago I had I bought all the gear 
I've been panning for a couple of years. Kevin comes along and says, "Hey man, hi, I'm, I'm Kevin. I'm I'm gonna pan. Is it okay if I go 200, 200 yards down the stream?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, man." I'm thinking, dude, I panned that out like four <laughs> years ago. I never found anything. Right. Two days later, you're I hear you going, "Eureka!" <laughs> it's not your fault that you found that. It's the timing of exactly. life. Exactly. It's like you just never know. And if you stay forward, you stay clear conscience and positive it's all about energies and that's not just living that gypsy lifestyle it's actually true if you're around positive energy a lot like you know when you are at the dressing and you have a positive night with everybody it all of a sudden the night becomes like the easiest shift you Absolutely. ever had where somebody comes in i'm sick or i don't like this person and all of a sudden you came in happy thinking i'm just gonna do this it's gonna be a lively night i'm singing and yeah. then now you have to put that Block that hole in the ship. Yeah, in order to get through, get it up there again. No, that's true. And and just so the audience understands that uh, the Dresden is a a famous Hollywood landmark mm-hmm. bar lounge restaurant. There is a duo that has sang there for a century and a half. Marty and Elaine. Mm-hmm. They're lovely Timeless. and enchanting humans. And I got I had the opportunity to sing with them many nights. And to your point, their energy alone creates vibration at that place where generations of people i mean every new generation shows up and are enamored by this place you know in large part in my opinion because the these two energetic yeah. on a timeless setting there. it's like a it's like a, a past setting yeah it looks like your uncle's den in the 70s and you're like wow yeah. i just te- stepped into a time warp and then you got these people with and this then energy you have these people singing authentically and you're like wow yeah and you're just like i love this and then you just see it becoming addictive to everybody everybody could be sitting there for dinner or just for drinks or yeah. just hanging out but you just see everybody just turn and just envelop yeah. each other and, and, really and in nice. fairness the same energy was w- w- the place was created out of you know this this gentleman carl ferraro mm-hmm. who created a hollywood icon family restaurant bar yeah that what that gentleman did all those years ago i think uh you know the the, the current family that's in charge obviously uh, respect that and, and and continue that and I don't mean this in any negative way but they can kind of stand back a little bit I think they're more of like they have their hand on the till at this point but he built the boat I guess is what I'm course, trying to yeah. say and so you have the same kind of energy that you're talking about like that was cre- like I don't when I worked there I think I remember two people saying they didn't like Carl Ferraro wow and it, I had thousands of people. Yeah, ask I'm in about disbelief him. just hearing that yeah. there was two. I'm like, but right? I, I like, had so okay. many people ask. You know, they come in. and I go, oh, is the uh, oh, the old guy who? And I go, you talk about the owner, and they're like, yeah. I go, no, he's he's still not around. I mean, he passed away. He was <laughs> yeah. 102, I think, when I he passed, or he was quite up there. He was up there. Yeah. But he created a really amazing space. To your point, the vibe, and the, yeah. And the family that's there continues a great tradition. Um, obviously, in COVID, they closed down. I think you actually got to go in and see the renovations. That no, they actually, did. they posted it on their oh, uh, page, okay. so I got to see the new floors and the new bar that they're looking that they redid. And, but they kept everything intact. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like the what's broke, don't fix it. You know, it's right. not broke, don't fix it. You know, um, mentality. So a lot of these iconic places, which unfortunately are losing to COVID, yeah, they have that timeless thing that brings everybody back to that certain time with their family or their loved ones or their, even themselves that they needed in order to feel, you know, at, at home or at peace at one point. And the dressing was a, a second home to me. I went there and I just knew the bartender and he remembered my drink after I vacationed there like maybe a year or two prior that bartender, to that. by the way, Gabriel. Gabriel, yeah. 
was was one of the, it, it was one of my favorite people there. Mm. He would uh, and this sounds stupid, but one of the things was he would help me learn. He would teach me bastard Spanish so I could make fun of the guys in the kitchen in Spanish that had been making fun of me in Spanish. <laughs> right? I mean, it, I think it was good and humored. I don't yes. really know, but I'm yeah. like, hey, dude, you, you're making fun of me, and I can kind of pick apart what you're saying. And so Gabriel would be nice enough to, he'd give me the translation. i go, no, 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 Gabriel, I want the bad, I want to sound like I don't understand Spanish, but I want it to be kind of cutting at the same time. And he would help me figure this stuff out. And that's how I actually got to know the guy. Because oh, wow. I, I was technically his boss, and he'd always, you know, kind of bow to that power. And I'm like, dude, like I'd have, I'd, I'd go, hey, what do you want me to do? He'd go, hey, senor, this, uh, this guy's giving me grief. And I go, well, what do you want me to do? And he go, I don't know, you're the boss. And I go, no, no, Gabriel, you, you don't understand. You've been here. He was very respectful years. like that. Yeah. He was very respectful. Didn't even have yeah. to have a conversation about whose boss was what. As soon yeah. as he heard, it's like that was it. Yeah, and it's like he was Almost very respectful. to a fault, in my opinion, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it gave me huge respect for him yeah. because the way he operated was the way no one on the planet operates anymore. Exactly, that no old one. school, yeah. traditional, respectful stuff. Right. And that's why I always went there. He was like, he knew exactly what I was up to in my life. And it was just like, continue the, the conversation right. from last week. It's like like part two, like episode three and episode four. It was just like, just like yeah. nothing. And he had like that father comp, uh, that fatherness to me that, I needed and like Marty the singer was like my grandfather he was like hey how the Yankees do last night and I was like oh my god and it's like it just goes back and they made me famous Yeah, even though I was just a guy drinking Guinness at the end of the bar and I was just like I'm just I'm nobody but they walk over to me and then people look like oh my god they know you how long you been coming here and it's like just yeah, that's skill. that's that Gabriel did that. That's a big specialty skill Marty has. He makes people feel like uh, they're the star. Yeah, and Elaine does too, but she's just a little more. If she doesn't know you, she tends to be a little more quiet. And uh, it's ironic you said that because Marty always reminded me of my father. Actually, in so oh, many nice. ways, yeah. probably because they're from the same generation, and there's mm. a lot of behaviors. And I'm just like, like he would give me his Christmas, <laughs> my Christmas bonus. Like he's not my boss. <laughs> yeah. And he, the way he would do it just reminded me of these old school people from the 50s, you know, the, yeah. the part that you can like yeah. about it. It's it just like the grand part where it's just, he made it such a presentation and he made it an important presentation, you know. Yeah, it's like watching I, like, it's like watching like the old mob movies, yeah. even though you know it's wrong. But yeah. if you see the big guy come in, it's like, hey, come over here. Yeah. It's like, yeah, happy birthday. It's like, what? I can't do Happy birthday! Yeah, Don't spend it all in one place. Yeah, he, Get he, w- like, that's the way he would. It would yeah. be that kind of flourishing, like like exactly what you just described. Hey, John, so come here for you know, and he'd be like, I'm, I'm like, "Dude, you're not like an old Italian guy. What are you doing, man?" Elaine was like that surprise icing on the cake. She'll surprise you and come up to you and just brighten up the day. Yeah, she'll just she, come up behind you like, "Hi, Kevin, how are you?" Dude, her hey, energy—it's just like wow. Yeah, just, I've never met a human being with more like glorious energy. Positive. I've never even seen her angry. Never seen her sad. You know, yeah. she's just like I'm just happy As, to be well, here. Well, aside from my own mom, because yeah. my mom does exactly the same thing. Like everyone was like the most important person in in the structure, whatever, yeah. wherever you're at, you know. And that's what Elaine does, and it's just uh, it's an incredible feeling the way that that's they why do I always promote it. Going to the dress, and everyone's like, "You always at the dress." I'm like, "The dressing is a second home. I could go there and not feel like." Oh, you're spending money. You could be saving or whatever, whatever you right. could be doing. This. It's like it's my vacation away from work. Yeah, and I could just sit there, catch up with everybody, meet new people, and then have a soundtrack behind me. Plus, it's it was always freaky enough 
Hollywood way. Like you would always have enough Hollywood in there, and but not too much, and yeah. it still felt like a neighborhood bar. Um, I, you know, yeah, stars will go there and nobody freaks out. Right, the people are like, oh, well, wait, is that Brad Pitt? What is it? Like, uh-huh. And this yeah. is like, yeah, he's there, and it's like, and it goes back to normal. It's like, oh wow, this yeah. person was here. Maybe not so much now with with uh, with cell phones and Instagrams and all I that stuff. It, people uh, will take pictures more and be like, I'm here with so and so. But I think I saw a drop out of that about a year prior to COVID, to be honest with you, where, you know, who knows what it is. It's all whimsical, but, you know, for a while, you know, you see guys like John Hamm showing up, and he's showing up in part because he's not getting hassled. Yeah, just investigate why yeah. this person's here. Yeah. Not be like, oh, he must want to be, like, why would he show up <laughs> to a place to be known? To, to be mauled by people. He would go to Beverly Hills, he'd go to Mastro's, he could do all yeah. the elite places to go but he's going to the dressing just to be in the dark and just chill out yeah. and it's like you respect that they'll come more often and before that they'll just start talking to you like Heather yeah. Graham I remember she came up I was sitting there waiting for my, my friend and she's like can you mind if I sit here wait for my friend I'm like yeah. in my brain I'm like swingers and then Heather Graham's in the dressing where they shot swingers and she's asking me to sit here to wait for her friend while my friend's coming here. Yeah, it's it's it it's is very it's truly iconic. and to me, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna be snobbish about it. I'm always impressed when I meet a celebrity. I'm sorry. I, I know people wanna be a lot of people are like, Well, you know, what's the big deal? Blah blah blah. You're <laughs> like, Hey dude, that's freaking Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> or that you know, I mean, you know, I guess John Travolta and, and Marty are connected via I he's somehow their family. Oh wow, yeah. So I was shocked one night when And Keanu with Gabe and all that stuff. Like, yeah. yeah, he always comes by to say hi to me. I'm yeah. like Wow, that's that's insane. It's not about being in a movie or I'm gonna give you this or give you that. It's like they come to yeah. to feel normalized. Yeah, and it's it's so so that was always kinda cool and it was always a little surreal for me. Sometimes I'd have to deal with issues for celebrities. And that does, and, yeah, and that, that comes and with the territory. Yeah. Sometimes they were dicks, to be honest. Of course. <laughs> I found it inter- I was never insulted because I'm like going Oh wow! I, you, I just out of you, I wouldn't have expected that. Or yeah, out of you, I would have expected that. And I spoke to you about this about the yes people that come into these new stardom people's lives that probably surround them when they're at their height and go, "How does it feel knowing you can get whatever you want?" Yeah, and you, you, people don't realize world, what it man. does to exactly. your psyche. Going, exactly. what do you mean? You could buy a boat tomorrow. Yeah, you could fly to Brazil yeah. like tonight. It's like really. You got it's like people you could, throwing themselves at you, and, and and that will mess up your it, brain. The whole two days, yeah. you start going, "I'm going to spend five grand. I'm going to buy this table, this," and yeah. then you just see all this magic happen. When really, it's the twilight zone of it is they're just going to suck you dry in well, a sense. You're so right. And one of the one of the kind of weird, gross things that I've seen is there's uh, several celebrities that just tip a hundred bucks to mm-hmm. anyone. Yeah. Like the, the so you, I guess they're doing a very generous thing. Very generous. I think they're also buying themselves out of problems. Oh yeah, yeah. And and it's it's a good habit to go. Well, I have the money. If I pay them a hundred bucks, maybe they'll look out for me a little better. Mm-hmm. And then you see staff sometimes just be motivated to just of like course. it's like oh I need him, and so there's a struggle. It's like hey dude, let the guy sit where he wants to sit. Because mm. they're thinking about my phone bill. My dry cleaning bill. Well, they're thinking Gas about just getting that Big hundred Bear. dollar bill. I'm going to Big. I'm going to Big Bear this weekend. Oh yeah, I need to. I need to take care of him right now. So it, I, I mean, I guess we're talking about it because that's what makes the, that particular establishment really a fascinating place to be. Yeah. It's it's it, in working there was um, 
being a door person, I'm, I did that for Skybar. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. For actually. a very long time, and you know, Skybar, for those who don't know, is is in it's on the Strip, and it's a really it, for years it was a very in place to hang out. So I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Uh, for the, uh, part of the Mondrian Hotels from Ian Schraker, who basically started uh, Studio 54. So moving out here, it's going to be 16 years next month. Actually, oh, hey, congratulations! Thank you, and. Um, Coming out here, I didn't want to work back in nightlife. I did that in New York for a long time as well. Uh, I had my own karaoke business that I ran in, in three different places oh, in nice. New York. And the funny thing about that was I was more famous for the karaoke world than I was as a soap actor. Everybody right. looked at soap actors like, no, oh, that's my grandma's thing. I'm not home to watch it. I work. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but I'm on TV. They're like, eh. But when I ran karaoke, it was just like, you're this. I was sexual chocolate. That was the name that was given to me on my 18th birthday. And then I used it, and my friends came in my wardrobe. And I became the, the face of the Upper East Side. And then went from that to to the A-listers. Like, Madonna wanted me to work at a place that she was opening. And then Carson Daly and Britney Spears, a lot of them ended up going, sexual chocolate's here. I need to see sexual chocolate. I'm like, That's I can't funny. believe this is happening. And you couldn't see my face. All you saw was my mouth, and you just saw this big fro all over my head. Oh, that's interesting. And, I, I've never seen you with a fro. Yeah. <laughs> so I got written up in the New York Post for was it. Was it like bouncy fro? Yeah. It was all cool. like this. And girls used to come by like, I play with your hair. That's like, cool. Yeah, cool. And guys like, guys would call me chocolate. Girls call me sexual. Right. Because they had that whole. Oh, that's where it came from. That homophobic stuff. I'm like, guys, you could call me my real name. Like, no, I'll call you chocolate. And then the girl's like, hi, sexual. You working tonight? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they bring their families and everything. And I became like this iconic thing to go meet. And I'm like. Once again, how are these things happening to me? Because I... Because you lead a charmed life. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't seek out for karaoke. I used to go after X-Files with my friends on Sunday nights at Fitzpatrick's and just, we just sing songs. And then the guy running it does the best Billy Joel. And he's like, well, I'm going back to working with my dad. He's in construction, all that stuff. This was just fun for a number of years. I'm bored with it. I was like, what are we going to do? We come here every Sunday. Where are we supposed to go? You know, I was just literally like Richard Gere and Officer and the Gentleman. He's like, we got no place to go. <laughs> He's like, calm down. You know, this Manhattan is huge. <laughs> Something's going to happen. We'll be able to fix that. <laughs> but he's like, why don't you take over? I was like, I didn't go to college to go run karaoke in yeah. a bar. And my friend's like, idiot. You get paid cash. You get to drink and hang out with your friends at the same time. Just do it for a few months. Yeah. Those few months turn into 10 years. Well, because you get used to the money. Yeah. And then just all the people coming out to see me and meet me and, and do everything. It, it was just one of those. It was just one of those magical moments where I was like, I didn't realize that how global I was becoming because of that. Like people flew in from Germany and and. um some came from Australia. Some came from you know China. They're like, "Oh, you're such a chocolate." I heard about you. I'm like, you heard about me. And it's like, I mean, people talk about you. They, all the tourists come here, and it was like Friday, Saturday nights. John, I'm working. I'm thinking yeah. everybody's going to the club. Everybody's like going to dinner, but they Karaoke's go all the way. Big man, or was? I don't know yeah. if it is anymore. It still is. You just have to find it. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that will never go old. Just like when the Derby closed. That right. broke my heart because I used to go there for swing dance and everything. It was kind of like the dressing in that sense where yeah, that was you go into a time warp yeah. and it's like, okay, it's gone. And I'm like, why would anybody get rid of that? You know, L.A., we talked about it a little earlier. L.A. is a weird town that way. They they do now, but I've been here, I think, 22 years now, and I've seen structures 
taken down that you just, you're like, what in the hell are you doing, man? That, don't you they become landmarks? That. Like yeah. I just thought landmarks in your set. I and, always thought that. Yeah. And I think while well, working at the Dresden too, you, you know, everyone comes in and says, you know, they should do this and they should do that. And it's like, are you insane? They shouldn't do anything. They should just, just replace whatever's it. here exactly the way it is. Preserve it. Yeah. And, and I think it's because there's so much, you know, LA's lucky to be a city that internationals come to, they spend their money here, they buy real estate here, mm-hmm. maybe they open a club, what their dream is to have a club here. Yeah. And and that's like more power to you, man. And so they come in and they just go, well, that's not what I want. I got the perfect location, but I'm going to tear down this diner that's been here since 1945. The thing with LA, like compared to like maybe downtown Chicago or even yeah. New York is like you have Keep all this space. Yeah. yeah, You have yeah. more space than anything. Yeah. Why would you want to come here and go rip that out? Yeah. You have all this land. Yeah. New York, I can understand where it's like, you don't have that yeah, much you're space. you're going up. Exactly. I got to take up the one that's not doing too well. We got to take that bar out, whatever. Right. But it's like... And then whatever goes in tends to fail anyway. Yeah, anything new, it's like the attention span right now of people in L.A. is like a, a, a right. gnat. And that's, that just breaks my heart. I'm sorry, I, I what'd mean, you say? It's like a, no, yeah. I'm kidding. There it is. <laughs> what a boom. Were you talking? He's here all week, folks. I'm here all week. <laughs> More zingers coming up. <laughs> exactly. But that always that always messed me up in a sense because you and I come from that old school that you remember stuff you 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 go by the you go you return to the places that you love and yes you yeah. you explore for new but you preserve the the traditional past and nowadays people just want to go to the new the new and then they get bored so easily now that the preservation of venues or whether museums or uh, restaurants or diners or iconic rides or whatever type of stuff entertainment just becomes old within six months or whatever it's just that you're so on the mark i mean part of the adventure that i would get at the dresden is seeing very young people you know 21 year olds Mm -hmm. now they can drink now they're coming in because some some person said oh you got to go listen to marty and elaine and then they get in and they're enamored by the wrought iron um globes Mm -hmm. yeah and just some of the fixtures and you know it's a bar it doesn't have a ton of fixtures but it that particular place you know, it has the cork on the wall and, and the, 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 the globes. And and they're just like, oh, my God, this is such an amazing place. And it's like, what, why would you? You're not going to replace those globes unless you hire an artisan to, to yeah. replicate them. Of course. You know, and it's just one of those things. Like, why would you, if you don't, you know, if you can, why wouldn't you just foster keeping what was there? Especially in a, in a town like Hollywood history. That yes. diner was in that movie or... You know, I don't know. It doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, like Fitzpatrick was iconic in New York. You see it on Seinfeld. You right. see it on She's the One. You see it in the movies. So you let's see it in buy the background. It and, tear it down. and you're like, oh my God, Fitzpatrick's bar. I remember that bar. And it's gone. Yeah. And it's like when I go back to, to New York and, I, and my, my best friend will take me on the the trip back in time. He's like, okay, what was here? And I was like, oh, right. wait, no. He's like, yep, that's gone. And I was like, that, that's gone too. I was like, oh my God. I mean, oh. I get it. The, the value of real estate is so high here, but you know, mm-hmm. what was the, uh, what's the uh, film location or lot uh, where in Culver City where they did Hogan's Heroes and Andy Yeah, Griffith. yeah, yeah. Culver City. How cool yeah. would it be if those sets were still there? Oh my gosh, yes. Well, they set of MASH and all the stuff and, yeah. I mean, yeah, you I have mean, you your friends. You can't keep it all. Yeah, no. You have friends. You could go to um, NBC for that and Seinfeld. You still they'll still hold on to that but stuff in the past past you kind of wonder like where Clint would be mentioned like where did he shoot yeah. this like I like to see that if that was on set yeah or yeah like Hogan's Heroes or a lot of those shows or um, or you know 
or Bob Hope specials and stuff like that. Like I want to yeah. see or or Dean Martin's roast. Like I would love to see that set. You know, where they're all just sitting there, yeah. just drunk and just like yeah, yeah, you yeah, and this is ranking each other. It's like that would be iconic to me. Which I mean, you can't do that in today's world anyway. And you, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. It's you got to take a YouTube video back in time. Yeah, I guess that's why. I guess that's why you film and record stuff. I mean, that's yeah. that's you know the part of the beauty of all that. You know what I mean. Yeah, so but, uh, becoming a director, you mentioned earlier. Yeah, was, uh, well, first, I, I, yeah. I wanted to ask you one other thing before we, we drift into yeah. um, your most recent adventures, which is I, I like the way you often speak of your mother. Now, I've never met your mother, mm. but she seems like a rather important uh, fixture in your life. She's obviously prompted you into things that you desired, so she scored high on that. Yeah. So, you know, you also mentioned you didn't necessarily have a, a good relationship with your father. But you had a strong parent in your life. And mm -hmm. I, what effect does having that strong a parent in your life have on a person, I guess? I just want to give you an opportunity. It's, it's, it's the trust fall. You know, when they when you know you go to therapy or something like that, they say, just fall back and whoever oh. you trust to catch you. Gotcha. That was always my mother. I mean, my mom was and very... she's still alive? Yeah, she is. Very good. I mean, uh, God bless. But uh, she's, she was very strong-minded on making sure her kids are successful and are able to live graciously on their own and not have to worry about anything. So she's very pragmatic and very realistic. So with the acting thing, she just didn't understand for a long period of but time. But she still supported it, obviously. But she ended up, she ended up um, supporting me, definitely. She sent me this card for my birthday and a long letter saying, like, you know, she had a change of heart with it and she's more proud of me than anything and supports me wholeheartedly and... She paid for my Strasbourg training for three years in New York. Um, I got accepted to NYU Tisch, but I couldn't afford to go there. So I had private training there for two years. I was lucky with that. And um, so with anything, whenever I successfully do something or focus on doing something, she's the first thought. Usually, you know, people say, well, my girlfriend, I'm my best friend. I ran to, but it's like to tell my mom, like, mom, I shot this. And she's like, you did? And he's like, how did it go? And then she doesn't know the world at all. So I have to describe to her what happened, this and this and this. She's like, you did it. You shot a movie. Nice. You lived out in L.A. You did more than most. And da, da, da. it's kind of like that. I know this stuff. But it's like hearing it from her. It's like that acceptance speech. Like you're seeing your dean go say your name and I'm ready to give you your diploma. Yeah. It's like, come on. Here you go. And it's like, oh. Like they, or the coach going, we needed that hit and you did it. And it's like, it was you. And it's like. Yeah, that's it. I mean, um, what did you call it when you fall into the crowd? What, what the trust fall. Trust fall. Yeah, it's interesting because my mom passed away uh, some months back. And I yeah, think. Sorry, and I appreciate that. I think what you said actually struck a chord with me in the sense that um, the thing I do miss the most is I realize I don't have this person to talk to hmm. that completely supports me. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, and it was such a joy to actually go. It was like a, a safety net for yeah. me in, in the sense of like, I could call, call my mom and just like be, just feel better about myself after, yeah. after the phone. She's like the go past go and Monopoly. Yeah. You get it up back yeah. and then you go back into the world. Yeah. I have the similar thing with you. Um, because my mom's still in New York and I'm in LA. Right. I've been out here 16 and years. That is harder than. I it's mean, harder on her yeah. because I'm the youngest, especially. But my mother's become, when people go, like, how do you deal? Like, she raised us to be independent, so we don't really fall on each other as much as a lot of people do. Right. In, in need. 
It's like in case of emergency level. My mom regrets that now. She wants us more involved with each other's lives, which is good. But for me, it's like my conscience voice is her voice. So whenever I'm doing something, I'm hearing her going, do you think you should be doing this now? Or should you be trying to do this other thing? And it's like, and I have to stop myself and I'm trying to be realistic. And then it's her voice telling me to follow the dream part of it. Interesting. So, so you're more, I don't know how spiritual you are. You with, with your mom, even though she's not here, um, that you can manifest what she would say. Interesting. For you in certain moments that you might feel you're stagnant about something. So in a way you're saying your, your, your inner self operates as a, a bit of a pragmatist and then your mom, albeit it's not a, non-pragmatic thing tends to say hey you're you're taking your eye off the target yeah she comes out of that voice of reason comes in and it's just her voice even though i could call her and, and get all this it's like when i'm in the moment of things when people go like you know your first film is supposed to fail like the the preliminaries are making anything people go like this is how it's gonna be kevin right. like i am proud of you you wrote something that's great when you hire people if you're not paying them like people are going to say yes because they love your story, but maybe one person will show up on set. And it's like, that was my first training yeah. of learning the business. I was like, oh my God, I don't think I want to do this anymore now. <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is what you have to get your mindset for because this is the business. And then I learned that aspect of it. Or actors are going to be like this. And I learned that aspect ahead of time. But it's like every time I reached that, that obstacle moment, it's just like, well... I'm trying to be like my mom in the sense of being realistic. Like maybe you should right. be realistic and wise up. But it's like my my subconscious would put her and just go, "You got this. Yeah. You got this problem. You put this problem to take care of that problem." It's like, huh? And it's like you just take this, move this, put this here, and then you're fine. Yeah. Like there's nothing you can't do. So it's a solid voice within. Yeah. It's just like she just comes in and she's like my bat suit. She yeah. just comes on and it's just like. A lot of my friends say when they work with me on these films is or my projects is like they feel like I've done this for so long and they they have to remind themselves this is Kevin's second project right. or this is Kevin's first project like but he comes on set and he's like okay we're doing this we're doing that and da 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 and it's like he's he's like a light switch. Well, the reason I asked about your mom and I think you just helped me do the segue was because when I've been lucky enough to work on two of your films. Um, and they tend oh, to have great to have you there. Thank you. They tend to have uh, family-driven themes or themes that would exist within family hmm. relationships. It, your characters don't seem to be fragmented from each other so much that I've seen on the on the parts that I've worked on. Right. And it, you seem to be fascinated with your storytelling on how how people are connected, opposed to how they're not connected. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think when it comes to films or TVs or any subject matter, there's always going to be, yes, the what are you fighting for for actors, you know, stuff like that. Like, why am I here? Where are we going? Where do we end up? But there's, for me, it's like I wanted wanted to create a substance that links people together on an emotional level. So instead of taking people out and going, oh, I'm just going to bring this in to help me with this character, bring that in with this character these roles are are driven by that support system whether they're there or not based on family based on that closeness and you just see what they're trying to get from the other person is a mimic of that 
Yeah, I mean, your your first film I picked up on your relationship. I, I assume it was it, it the title is beautifully love dark. Yes, and I I picked up on the fact that it was kind of uh, autobiographical. It is, yes. It's a true story. Yeah, yes. and I also picked up on, in talking to you, that I don't think you ever said anything disparaging, but you didn't have the best relationship with your father. No. And part of that is in this particular project. Yeah, it's based on the pivotal moment that happened in New York. At uh, New York was the prime of this, and a, a dear friend of mine was going through something that was similar to what I went through, but I didn't share it with anybody before. And when I was asked by the owner to stay with this person and not let this person go home just to keep his mind right, he asked me a question like, yo, tell me a story and tell me something that's supposed to, that could help me prepare for this thing I'm dealing with. Uh, something, because I'm photographic, so things just trigger and takes me back. I always go through these um these roller coaster of adventures of my past that take me back, whether it's one of one of the senses get ignited and then I'm gone. So wow, that's handy for an actor, by yeah. the way. So when headlights hit me that night at that venue, it took me back to um, high school in Florida, where um, you know at the time, you know, my mom was working and my brother and sister were away for school, so she didn't want me to be home and unprotected in that sense and you know crime was getting up there a little bit and schooling and stuff like that so she thought huh two birds one stone Kevin could go live with his father even though they divorced when I was 10 stay with his father in Florida get to know his father because she was not like anti my dad she was just more like okay you have to respect that you have a father where most people don't even have that conversation so maybe there could be a bond set there and plus, you'd be in a better environment for schooling for three right. years, and then you come back. So she asked me, what she never really does, ever ask me for anything. But she asked me to do her that favor. And I was like, uh, well, I didn't really have a relationship with my dad at that point either. We just vacationed every other year. My brother and I sometimes would just go see him, and then that was it. And then we kind of just didn't for a while. And then so I was like, sure, Mom. My mom needs me to do something. I have to become a man and do it. And I went, and it wasn't a welcoming feeling because it's not on his part because he was more like the the he was more the passive to my stepmother my stepmother right. was the one that was like I don't know what arrangement was had here I don't want you here you don't belong here um, you're not my problem and then my dad didn't have a leg to stand on to fight for me or whatever so I was living in a dark place and and, and that was the home so uh, my room was actually my sanctuary. Gotcha. I never left my room. And if I did, I had to do something real quick. And then and then, then came a time where schooling was there. I got my best friend that lived two blocks down. That was from a Jamaican family. So I'm Jamaican. So it was like I got my meals from him when my stepmom decided that I was not allowed to eat in that house anymore. She said, you got to get a job, do something. But uh that's where we stand now yeah and i was like wow and at this moment i was like well just call your mother tell her what's going on <laughs> and then you get back to new york and you're done yeah what's the problem here but jamaican culture is seeing is believing so i could be telling my mom all these things but she's not going to really believe it right. unless she's seeing that yeah. so uh my my stepsister from my dad's side was there and i told her everything was going on and I just said, if you, when you go back to New York, just tell my mom everything. Like, this is what's really going on. She's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yes, yeah, so I'll tell her. 
And then when she went, I called my mom like maybe a week later. And she's like, hey, dear, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good, mom. Did Marlene talk to you? Whatever. And then she's like, yeah, she told me you're having a great time. Right. So that was the moment where I just realized I was more alone than anything. Yeah. And that was the true moment where I felt the boy becomes the man. Like, you could run away, do all the stuff, and hitchhike home or whatever you need to do. Or you could just man up and just stick with this until you graduate and it's over. Right. And I took it upon myself to do that. And within that time, I was uh, magically introduced to somebody that just came out of nowhere. And at the moment, it kind of did feel like it was an angel and it was uh, something in my mind that was not really there. I manifested her, but she was a real girl. She just saw me talking to myself in this preschool um, eating area after, after hours and she was just outside of her friend's house that she didn't want to deal with and she just heard me and she just came over to console me and just and but she did it in a way where it's like I knew her forever right. like she knew everything was going on without even saying anything she cut me off and just be like oh so this and then that and that and I was like okay and and then you know she was she took my mind off of everything that was going on and from that moment I was just like well uh, I guess I need this girl in my life and this and that. But she already said, like, if she left everything up to fate. Right. So I learned about destiny at that point. Serendipity at that point has been a part of my life from the beginning. But that was more wholesome where I was starting to understand that these fortunate accidents are coming from. So I try to take initiative with her. And she's like, if we're meant to meet again, if you find yourself here and we'll go from there and see if there's romantic levels from that point on and I was just like I took that as her just saying like bye yeah. you know like just trying to it's not me it's you yeah <laughs> I mean it's not you it's me I got yeah, that backwards she's just, she's just turning me down in the most nicest right. nicest uh, luring way as possible right. so I was like okay I get it and then when my when my stepmom said you're not allowed to eat here or whatever and I'm just like okay I can't do this anymore or whatever and I went back to that park and I sat it was like months later and I'm like there's no way I'm going to see this girl Sarah again anyway so tomorrow this is it this is what we're gonna do and then she just shows right up yeah and i was just, on set when you shot that yeah scene, you were there with me um i was there with Loma. you many years after the fact <laughs> in the reality yeah 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 so it i mean her parents asked me to do to create this story uh this time that we shared together that they didn't know about right because um, sarah just felt oh, like it's interesting she felt like she was very beyond her her years and she just felt like to in order for this to progress naturally between us, right. how about we cut out the outside world? Why would her parents ask you to do that? I don't want to do a spoiler. That's why I'm asking um, the question. They, they, if you know, if you want to do a spoiler and explain <laughs> what what happens, well, it'd be the hard story. to see beautifully love dark now. It's a SAG project, and I mean, you would have to go through me to uh, screen to it, it, unless yeah. it's festivals. I could get you. I mean, it's been so, doing very well with festivals. So yeah, um, I noticed that. that. You, I saw one in in England. I saw you know that that, that baby's making its rounds. But mm-hmm. the um, so it wouldn't hurt to do a spoiler, right? Yeah, I guess it wouldn't. Um, the reason why the parents asked you to do this is because yeah. the girl passed away. Yes. Um, Sarah. Which is a beautiful freaking concept that the parents came to you and said, look, we didn't really understand this relationship with you guys. I mean, mm-hmm. we understood the relationship, but what happened? What yeah, was she thinking? John played the father of, yes. of Sarah's dad. And um, 
the way I met her parents was very unorthodox. Um, because her lives were secret from outside world, none of her friends knew about her. None of my friends knew about fam. Nobody knew about each other. Just us. So if we had a, if we had any issues, disagreements, only we could solve them because it was nobody. So, um, which is a hell of a bond, yeah, right? Yeah, because she said we could cut the drama out if we just leave it just to us. And I was like, and uh, it was beautiful. The reason why for the three the three names in the title is beautifully because we found beauty in darkness. That was something she always said. And um, she was finding placement within herself in society that she was dealing with because she just felt like she was just beyond this this realm of that teenage years and what people were doing and thinking none of that. She just felt like she had to be somebody else. Um, and me was just dealing with the family stuff. So um, we spent like literally a year together um, in our misadventures and going places and just spending time getting to know each other and stuff. So there was this one night where her friends, she, she was so upset where she wanted to spend time with me, but her best friends were like, wanted to drag her to this party and um me I took the noble path it was like it's your best friend you gotta go right. you know if it was a regular friend I'd be like nah screw them but I was like it's your best friend so if my best friend told me like Kevin I need you to do something I'm like honey I gotta go do this with my best friend so I was like it's your best friends it's a party I'll be up tonight I'm studying Yeah, I'll keep the portable phone near me so it doesn't wake up the house and I'll be up don't worry and she was like okay and she went and then Maybe like a few hours later, she called me and I was like, hey, and she's like, I told you I didn't want to go. And, you know, it's just so awful here, whatever. And, you know, I want to be with you and this and that. And I was just like, hey, you know, I wish you were here, too. And that was basically the that was literally the first time she said she loved me. Yeah. I told her I loved her on the and phone that night. I told her I took the I took the leap of faith and I was just like, I love you. And she was a sign. She's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, oh, and that just hit me too. Because I was like, this is it. If she doesn't love you or like you, yeah. she's going to really break your heart over this phone. And uh, she's like, yeah, I know. I love you too. And uh, she's like, well, I'll talk to you. I'll call you in a bit. And I was like, great. So at, by this time, this was uh, in the fall. Um, this is fall 92, uh, 93. Or something. And, um, and what ended up happening was hours later, I got the call. And I'm thinking it's her. And it's her father. And I'm like, everything is running through my brains um, a million miles per hour. And um, I was like, oh, my God, you found her journal. I know she was mentioning about writing about me in her journal. Her dad's probably mad because he's ex-military in Italy. and Or her mom found it. Oh, no. So before I could progress to anything wholesome, it was going to be taken away from me. So that's what I was thinking. But he was just very stern. He didn't go into anything. He was just like is this Kevin? I'm like, yeah, like this is, you know, I'm a, this is Sarah's dad. I'm going to, I need your address. I need to send, I'm going to send a cab to pick you up. Can you get out of the house? And I was like, wow. Oh my God. I'm going to a, I'm going to the trouble, guillotine man. for this. Like yeah, I'm in yeah. big trouble. Yeah. Oh no. Cause baby, he's thinking this yeah. whole year together. Maybe she had, we, we consummated or all this stuff. Like maybe he's yeah. going through all this stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm about to get in trouble. And I had this necklace I bought. I want to give her for her birthday which is Valentine's Day, which is way early. But I was like, well, might as well give it to her now as a goodbye gift. So I hopped into this cab and I'm going, and the cab driver's like, you Kevin? I'm like, yeah. He's like, and the conversation I had with the cab driver is not in the movie that I really wanted in there, was more like, 
this older black guy and he's like a father figure in a sense because he's trying to prep me for what he's about to take me to because right. I was sitting there all nervous and back it's like hey man sometimes in life things happen and there's no reason for it but you just gotta you just gotta find a way to get through it just yeah. get through it sure. and just look forward and I was like what are you talking about like, yeah. whatever excuse me so he's like alright we're coming up on it now I can't get to it fully I'm gonna let you out here you just go down the end of this block and you make a sharp left and then a right and I was like uh, okay yeah. he's like it's already paid for don't worry about it so I'm walking through this dark and suburban area to the main street and then I'm starting to see lights and I just see like the fire department the ambulances and the cops are there and I was like I'm realizing there's an accident a, a truck ran a light a semi truck ran a light and hit the pathfinder T-boned with Sarah in the back seat and her two best friends in front. Yeah. And I got there. It's like this small crowd of people so late at night. And um, so I'm like, what the heck's going on? And then I'm hearing Sarah screaming my name. And then I'm looking off and I see the Pathfinder and it's mangled. So she was trapped in the back seat. And I'm screaming for her. And then the paramedic, everybody's up there going, who are you? This and this. And then her dad saw me. We never met before. But he saw how I was reacting, and he's like, that must be Kevin. So I met him. He's like, listen, she's calling your name. She's mangled in the back seat. They're trying to get her out. And uh, I didn't know what to do. So she's like, she wanted you here. So I got you here. And so we're just waiting. And I was like, and the mother was so distraught. I couldn't even, there was no hello. She was just, she was just mangled. She was just caught in that whole thing um, in that moment. So. They got her out eventually. Her two best friends died instantly. That's terrible. Like, gone. And the guy that ran the, the light, he was just not paying attention. I don't know if there was alcohol involved. I don't know. I know he went to prison for that um, after all that. But uh, they got her out. They got her in the ambulance. And I was in the back of an ambulance as the sun was starting to pick up, holding her with her parents there. And she's just talking to me like normal. Like she's very sarcastic. She's very just like, I got to see you. And I was like, what? I was like, do you understand? She's like, I want to see you before I go. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're on the way to the hospital. You'll be fine. And and she was just like, you know, just prepping me for letting her go. And it broke me. And I literally, she died in my arms on the way to the hospital. Wow. That's uh, that's a really really big story. Yeah, I mean it's that must have been horrific, and uh, you know that's what I mean to have to experience that is is horrific, and to have the parents come back sometime later. First off, it sounds like the cat that I played was a person who understood like what it is to be human right like he mm -hmm. didn't hesitate his daughter's you know asking for you and and he figures out really quickly like yeah i'm gonna get this guy here and then a couple years later to come back to you and say hey what happened what's going on with what did, what did well, we she, miss with you guys and will you yeah. tell that story because we love this person yeah um the relationship between me and her parents were um i mean she was she ended up her body was flown out to Italy where she was buried. So her parents moved from Florida back to Italy. So that was the last of anything. But they called me maybe like a year later and they just wanted to say hi, see how I was doing. And um, 
it turned out it was on her birthday, Valentine's Day. It was her birthday. And from every year since then, they call me on her birthday. That's fantastic. To share her memory, to share what's going on with each other's lives, and stuff that they may not have known, I share with them. Yeah. So um, That's cool. That's where the love came in from the dark. It was just like her spirit carried on from there. I mean, they, her father ended up in New York one time, and he gave me back the necklace that I gave her. He's right. like, she wouldn't want to be buried with this. So I still have the necklace that I'm supposed to give her, that I did that I wanted to give her before she, um, um, for her birthday. And uh, I thought maybe she'd be buried with it because I had no use for it anymore. I didn't want to see it. And then he's like, this doesn't belong where, where she is. And, um, so that what it was like, maybe, oh my God, like decades later where they asked me, it's like, uh, Kev, we want to ask you something and, um, I hope it's not inappropriate. I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, well, we want to do the time you had together. You know, if you couldn't, you know, you in the business, if you could create that year you had together. I was like, you want me to make a, a, a oh, short film about our year she, or a movie? He's like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't have to be big. We just want to see, be able to see our daughter and how she was with you when we didn't know. Um, so that side of her life, would you, would that be something you can do for us? You know, we don't need to ask you for anything, you know? Um, and I was like, and I was like, just like, think about it. Let us know, you know, if not, it's okay. And I, I had to really think about it. And, um, because I kept that secret for so long and then I shared it with Patrick cause he lost his wife in the, in the, in the towers on uh, that night. And Patrick, if I remember correctly, is the bartender character. In the, yes. Yes. That's who I was consoling because he was there all, from all morning. And I ended up at uh, Fitzpatrick's later on that night. My mom was missing that day too because she worked from t- across the street from Tower One. Yeah. Yeah. So she was missing, but she was found. Thank God. And you know, um, so I did lose. Me and Patrick did lose like five people in the towers. Right. On top of that. So Anne was his wife. So he was just back at the bar the whole night. So to share that with him, it was the first for me to share about her. My best friend didn't talk to me for a while because he lost both his parents and I never told him about her. I didn't share it with my family to like one, one year later at that point. And they were like, how did you hold this stuff in for so long? And I was like, how am I going to prove that she existed? It's plus, like, plus, I mean, I'm guessing, but obviously at that age and experiencing all the, <clears throat> The, the the family issues that you did I, I would assume I would learn to close close off because yeah. it's a safe way to operate like okay the less that I expose myself the, the less, less I have to, to deal feel with bad it. about myself and yeah, so it was that it mechanism that human me. mechanism yeah. of surviving survival of the fittest like yeah. people come back from war they don't talk about it sure it's like it's like we, of course I didn't talk about it. No one was open to hearing me talk about it. You know, I, yeah. I totally get it, man. What a compelling story! I got to say that. Yeah, to put that into a twenty twenty one minute. Um, yeah, well, storyline. It was a lot too, yeah. and luckily people believed in it. And where I got to shoot it, I got to shoot at the Dresden, which was that's meant a, cool a great thing. deal yeah. to represent Fitzpatrick's and. Jimmy was definitely awesome with that, and you you were there for that to make that happen. And Gabriel stayed that whole night in his yeah. car to make sure that that was being shot. That it worked, yeah. So it's a lot of. It was definitely a passion project to see like all these fragment chess pieces of friends that made sure it got done. You know, instead it was not like 
I know this celebrity from work I all this money from family or whatever it was just like literally people that believed in it where we shot down employment with you and everything right we got to use an ambulance from 1998 we got to use the park we got to use that whole area for like 15 hours for yeah. free and it was just like because they the woman that um loves the story yeah and she's so like you're you, passionate about it yeah so um so yeah so with the father and everything he's just like just and i was like how would i do this and and i had to really think about it. it's like kevin only you could tell the story the the right way and the right memory for her so i just wrote it and i was like okay this is it and and everybody loved it and i was like okay how do i create this and i learned as a filmmaker as a producer and all that like crowdfunding all the stuff i had to learn the, uh, yeah, the basics of creations yeah and i wore a lot of hats so that was the training of this like well mel gibson did it he wore many hats for braveheart and a lot of other people do it is it in me i, I was sought out for stand-up I was sought out for all these different things, karaoke and whatever. Is there ability for me to find this in me this time? This was like yeah. a new level. Like can- you know, it, it's a funny thing too because I think um, you know I've shot stuff and I've directed stuff, and I don't think I've ever. Uh, you know, I'm not. I mean, uh, your experiences helped me drastically too. Yeah. So I when you were telling that. me like, okay, oh, when I dealt with this actress and then. And then timing, and then the crew with this, and the, the, and the money was that. Yeah. I was learning as you were telling me, like what thicker skin I'm going to need in yeah, case this stuff happens. It's just it's a fascinating thing, and I was going to say I don't feel like I've ever really succeeded at it, but I think that to to ever succeed at it, you have to throw yourself do in. it. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we talked about that where it's like you can't just think about it. It doesn't matter how, I think a lot of times I was telling you, it doesn't matter how you do it. This is how I did it. You take from it what you want. The point is, get your ass out there and do it, which you were always in motion on. I'm not trying to imply that you weren't doing that, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, because everybody has these preliminaries, like you have to go to film school. And you it's have all to do bullshit. This. You yeah. have to do this. You have to make sure you have the money first and all that, yeah. like all these have-tos. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't want to waste anybody's time. Exactly. I want that guilt. Exactly. Or doing it half and then never get done, yeah. finished. And you still waste people's time, and then you go, next time I'm not going to do it that way because I wasted people's time. And everything that you tell yourself you're not going to do, you just have to do it to figure out how to not do it the next time or do it better the next time. Yeah, the story needs to be told. And exactly. That, that's, that's, that's what this mission is. No matter how you do it, it has to be told. So, yes, you might lose friends. You might lose time. You might lose age. Well, you didn't really lose friends. You <laughs> lost people that you called friends and realized they're not really friends. You know what yeah, I mean? yeah, of course. The reveal, the Scooby-Doo moment is like, exactly. oh, I'm not really a friend. Yeah. Um, but I learned a lot, and then it went from that to Last Tonight. And, yeah. And I, that, that's I, your second film. My second short film, and I had a better grasp on things then. And even though it was a smaller budget... We got that done, and then it became then now my pilot that I got done. Right, that John was a part of as well, playing which a dad, was fun. You know? Yeah, and and the, the name of the pilot is "Hey, I'm the Door Guy." Hey, I'm the Door Guy. <laughs> and briefly, if you would describe what that is, because I mean, I, I've been talking to you for a while, yeah, and and it's great, but you know, I'm, I'm going to have to end the podcast at some. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, hey, or I'm else I got to break it into like two, two parts. Part two. But man, that last this whole story about your first film is an amazing tale. Yeah. Um, but now Thank you're doing something that's a little more lively and fun. I'm sure. I know there's a family connection because I play the girl's dad, one of yeah. the girls' dads. Well, yeah, him the door guy. It's basically it's the uh, it's a love letter to the unsung talent out there. Um, I've come across many people in my life that have the it factor to be an actor, an actress, in everything. 
and they never get their time they never get their moment to to shine it and it always broke my heart looking back on things going when I beat, meet these people again it's like oh you know that was a moment I'm done I'm doing this now I'm not in the business I'm not, I didn't try yeah and it's like these because people they should get be the breaks right yeah these people should audition more they should have been they should have the agent they should have done this you should collate with other people and make you know make uh, short films or video but they didn't and that always hurt me knowing that they will never know what their story should have been told as right. so I wanted to create this uh, storyline which is uh, this is us meets a stripped version of Entourage meets Ocean's Eleven so um, basically it's about these these four characters and three of them are coming from one's coming from New York one's coming from Chicago one's coming from uh, Indianapolis and one is a has-been that was a child actor that burnt out and they're all coming to Hollywood to to take on their dreams they left their certainty for their destiny that's the tagline for it um, nice and these are talented people that have no idea if they have it in them or to have what it takes to to make it in this business and they're leaving their bubbles for it and some of them are leaving bad situations but most of them are just taking that plunge leaving what is certain for them where they could live a fruitful life for the unknown of uh, this industry so and the other turn with that is there's a dying casting agency that because of um, social media and the internet is kind of teetering off the preliminary traditionals of acting and going to auditions and meeting and all this stuff to everything is online now so a lot of these casting offices are shutting down or there's no real finding talent anymore it's just followers and all this stuff yeah. and they just throw you into the into the fray so i wanted to base it on this mom and pop iconic casting agency that's kind of teetering off and the assistant who's looked at that place like a home for her is losing that so she comes across these talented misfits that were there to uh, to audition for something in a coffee house where they're maybe we um thinking about the choices that they made coming out there and she comes up with this oceans 11 type of type plan to where they could get themselves in there and save her casting the agency as well as get them to flourish so she comes up with this the premise of them becoming the top door people of these top venues to where these studios execs would go to or production companies would go to so where they can meet them and become friends with them and then she'll come in and pretty much tie the knot to her cast her casting agency as a cornerstone for them to go to instead of going to the top agencies they go into her and it all just comes together fruition for all of them but it's basically the idea is finding trust in this business with people you don't know which is the hardest thing most challenging thing to do especially in LA so I wanted to uh, to uh, give an homage to all those people out there that don't have a name nice and um, and would you consider it um, it's a dramedy it's a relatable say, yeah, yeah. a relatable dramedy is nice. how I labeled it and so far the uh, the trailer has been doing very well. Everybody loves the the premise. The of trailer it. looks really good. I think. Thank you. And where where can someone find that? They can find it on YouTube. Actually, you type it in YouTube. It's there. It's on. I have a page on Facebook for Hey the Door Guy, where it's on as so well. So you type in Hey I'm the Door Guy and a search it, on YouTube. It will pop up. Yeah, gotcha. definitely. It's a unique name, of course. I'm writing the second episode. The first one will be done by um, February 12, which is the anniversary of me moving out here and nice 
Sarah's birthday. That's why I moved out wow. to L.A. So okay. it's very iconic where my uh, editor is like, yeah, by February 12th week. And I was like, that's the week I moved there out here. Go. And I moved out here on her on her on Valentine's birthday. Day. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So if it could be done by then, it'd be great. But I do know it'll be done next month, definitely. Yeah. So I'm excited to see. I've been plugging my friends in top levels of the industry to see if they like it enough to help me uh, pitch it or get it to a platform and, you know, to get it made. And in the meantime, I'm writing the second episode. I'm trying to do like a 10 episode for a first season just to keep these characters alive and, right. and brooding. So nice. I'm and, for that. and so if someone wants to contact you, I would say they can contact me and I can get the information or where would they be able to contact you? Well, yeah, you're the finder's fee guy. Okay. I'm okay <laughs> like, with that. Find, I'll take, I'll get, take my two, two and a half percent. Yeah, I get my three oh. <laughs> percent. But if, the, if you want to give a place for them to contact you, if, oh, if yeah, you have definitely. Or, you can or, um, or, find me on Instagram at um, serendipity1431. Or you can find me on Facebook under my regular name, Kevin Williams. Or you can email me at joeblack01 at Hotmail. Fantastic. And, you know, I also have to thank you. You know, working on your uh, television series got me another job. It as did? As an actor. Yeah, I, I, I think I emailed you the fact that I was working on the uh, the, the thing with... Um, uh, I play. I ended up playing the biker character. I was yeah, telling yeah, you about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. they were looking for somebody. Casper Nelson's uh, yeah. show and uh, Jeffrey's the one. Yeah, Jeffrey, he was my uh, DP. Yeah. yeah, he needed to find somebody with a bike, whatever. I'm like, John yeah. would be perfect for that. Yeah. Like, Can I get his info? And then it's been fun. I mean, was it it's, good? Uh, yeah, I'm not done. I have one day yet where I shoot the uh, mayor. Oh wow! Yeah. And I didn't go into details with it with me on it, so and, I didn't know. and it's I think it's a uh, you know all of my scenes are the same. That's why I wanted you to define it. I think it's a it's a dramedy. Okay, but my stuff is more drama. The drama side. So I I think it, it yours when I worked on yours I could it felt like a dramedy to me. Casper's mm-hmm. feels a little like uh, maybe it's heavier on a drama, and because uh. he's a comedian. He it's it's a dramedy just because sometimes he's delivering things off the cuff and uh, okay. which by the way when you were doing some of your uh, comedic stuff earlier in this conversation mm-hmm. you reminded me a lot of Casper and I thought man these comedian guys when they do characters they really let it physically take their body I noticed when you were doing that oh yeah I get very animated yeah um, because it's it's the Shakespearean in me where it's just like you have to yeah. Know, give them a vessel to speak and that's why I, that's how i train these um for these characters is that like the playlists i had for you yeah. to do all these oh, characters yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah. i wanted to give you what they're listening to so it gives you it gives them a voice because they're spirits and they need a vessel yeah because you're trying to change the in you're trying to like readapt the inside completely for the character mm-hmm opposed to just thinking about it on the surface and yeah, yeah. i want you to look at it like i'm going to do it like this uh like this person or whatever like this person is a is, is a being yeah and doesn't have a voice so it needs to be in you yeah. so this is what she listens to this is what she's going through through every song yeah. and it's like oh so when they're doing that and looking at the lines it becomes like a glove yeah. so a lot of them just falls in love with the process. I, I guess now I'm an acting coach. I guess so. A lot of people's like, I like the way you train yeah, with that and da da da. I was like, oh okay, <laughs> that's fun, man. That hey, so the thing is too, I want to have you back so that we can talk about. Hey, I'm the door guy. 
Of course. Um, I would talk about it today, but I, you know, I tend, I tend to run these hour, an hour and a half. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just uh, we're at that time, unfortunately. Yeah. But it actually will be fun to bring you back and talk to you about how things have progressed if you're up for that. Of course, I'm down. Fantastic. This is my second podcast ever, so I'm, I, I'm enjoying this. Well, definitely. I hope to catch you on your 22nd in the next couple <laughs> months. I hope that you end Kanan's up Because Kanan's doing his there. again. Now yeah. he's doing the third season for him as well. Oh, nice. So um, I did... I did one for him in last season. So um, when you asked me about yours, I was like, wow, this is cool. Because I always loved, uh, I always missed the uh, old days of the late night radio station. Right. And they always just talking to somebody. And it could be on any night. And you just see them just talking. Like, yeah. yeah, so da da da. And, and that's, my, that's my vibe completely with yeah. these things. I'm just talking to people. People will be like, hey, so what's your podcast about? And I go, well, my podcast is about talking to interesting people. Yeah, it's kind of like that preliminary <laughs> you know? Larry King style. Like, I just want I this think. to be comfortable and just talk yeah. about things. Not like, you need to talk about politics yeah. because this. You have to talk about this because you're black. You got to talk about this. Exactly. It's like, no. Yeah, we missed all that. I'm black, yes, and you're white. Yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I'm a mutt. <laughs> anyway. I think we all are, thanks to uh, uh, Ancestry and 23. I mean, it's like, it just finds out that we're all the day mixed that up everybody. We, the day that we all realize that, a lot of problems are going to go away. It's like, hello, you're not fully white, <laughs> sir. Like, it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, what, what? how's that possible? Hey, dude, it's called science. It's science, you can't it, like, argue you, with you, science. You, it's DNA, and you know what, maybe the other shit you were piling on top of it really doesn't matter <laughs> like the pile on like we, yeah we either say it's all dna or it's all opinion one or the other <laughs> anyway brother it was a pleasure having you on and we're, we're just going to wrap up and i look forward to talking to you again thank you so much john for having me i look forward to coming back you're Definitely. welcome and thanks for putting up with my kid's dog <laughs> uh yeah she i mean he loves me now, definitely. So he <laughs> she, smelled me, licked me, and he's like, oh, she's like, okay. I'm now good. there you go. Now we're cool. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, this is John. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival at the CEF.World. I'd also like to say, hey, thanks, Kevin, for being on the show. 